My name is Michael Rhodes. I'm uh, one of the pastors at Veritas. So it is great to be with you guys this morning. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. We have this week and next week, and we are uh, concluding our sermon series in Revelation. Uh, hopefully uh, you guys have enjoyed that. Um, I know sometimes Revelation can be a scary book when you first look at it and you first read it the first time. You're like, whoa, what is all this about, right? Uh, hopefully you uh, have learned that a little more of what it actually is about, what a lot of the symbolism and imagery refers to in that. Um, it's been an absolute blessing for me as I've prepared sermons for it, as I've listened to uh, other preachers as they've preached. It's been a blessing. And that's the design of the book, right? If you remember from the very first week, we looked at chapter 1, and when we looked at chapter 1, the whole purpose was, you remember John is getting this vision, he's, he's exiled on this island of Patmos, and he's getting this vision from God, and this, this vision of what's to come. And as he gets this vision of what's to come... It's supposed to motivate seven local churches, but now we get to experience that, and it's really written for all churches for all time, but these seven local churches, it was meant to be a blessing and an encouragement to them to motivate them to stay faithful. Now, why did they need to have a blessing and encouragement? Because they were going through a time period when they were persecuted tremendously because of their faith. So their lives were at stake because they followed Jesus. Their families' lives were at stake because their families followed Jesus. And so when you're walking through that kind of difficulty, you need some kind of extra kind of motivation, right? Like, how am I going to keep going? How am I not going to just quit? When things get really hard, how do I keep persevering? How do I keep enduring in this faith journey, right? So that's what this whole book's about. Now, as he's giving this vision of what's to come, and it's supposed to be this great motivation not to compromise, why does our vision of the future often fail to motivate us in this life, though? Because sometimes we can think about the future and be like, oh, that's going to be great one day. The life to come, like life after death, it's going to be great. Jesus is going to come back. It's going to be great. But I'm still struggling here on this earth. Why does our vision of what's to come fail to motivate us? I think it oftentimes fails to motivate us because our vision of what's to come isn't very compelling. When you think about life after death, you think about what's going to happen when the end of the world happens. We often think as believers about this abstract kind of ethereal place, right? Where we're just floating around on clouds, sitting on clouds, playing a harp with some little baby angel in a diaper, right? You, you know the picture. You've seen the cartoons. And when you see that picture, you're like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to do that. I don't know about you. That, that's not something that just like is super appealing to me. Like even as a pastor, I'm like, I don't really want to play the harp. Like, I, sorry if you played the harp, but um, I actually, this is totally off subject here a little bit. I was looking at a picture yesterday of somebody that was in my youth group uh, a long time ago, got married, and they had a harp at their wedding. I was like, that's, that's the only time I've seen anybody ever play a harp. Um, but anyway, off the subject. So, but if you have this picture of just kind of floating around in heaven on clouds, and then your job is on the line here on this earth because of your faith, 
because you stood up for your faith. Are you going to go, man, the motivation I need is to just float around one day. It's probably not going to work, is it? If you feel like you're the only one at school that's doing the right thing, the God honoring thing, is the most motivating thing for you to go like, oh, I want to keep going. I want to keep being like faithful to Jesus. And I know the thing that's going to help keep me faithful is one day playing a harp on a cloud. No, that's not going to help motivate you. So what kind of vision do we need to have on this earth about our future that's actually going to help us endure in this life? That's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you've got your Bible ready, uh, we're going to be in Revelation 21, all of chapter 21, and then the first five verses of 22. All right. So verse t- chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So it says, then, so what happens before this? If you remember last week, we talked about kind of the destruction of the earth, then there's going to be judgment that comes, right? And some people's names are going to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, others aren't. Like there's a reality that of following Jesus and not following Jesus of what's going to happen for eternity for you, right? So now after this has taken place, God's going to kind of bring a new creation about. This is an exciting chapter this morning, guys. This is about what's to come, this new creation that's going to come. So he's going to bring in a new heaven and a new earth because the first one's passed away. Now, what was wrong with the first one? Well, there was nothing wrong with the first one originally, right? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth all right so god created it and was it good when he created it yes it was perfect it was awesome it was a beautiful creation he creates everything he creates adam and eve everything's going great until sin enters the world and they fall short of recognizing the glory of god and they want to be like god And then there's consequences because of that. Because of sin, there's consequences. And Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. They don't have access to the tree of life anymore. And even the creation itself starts to like wrestle with itself. You got to work the ground now. It's not just going to come easy anymore. And this is what Romans chapter 8 says about creation itself Romans 8 18 and through 21 it says for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope listen to this that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation itself, the hope, is that it would one day be be released from the bondage that it's in. That creation itself has been groaning since Genesis chapter 3. Man, this has not been good, not just for people, but all creation itself has been groaning. And so now in Revelation 21... When John gives this vision, God through John, and he goes, hey, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. 
because the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. This is great news, right? Because there's just been this bondage for so long. And what God's going to do, he's not just going to create some state of mind, right? There's a country song right now. This is the, it says, they say heaven is somewhere on the other side, but I ain't waiting. And I can't say what's next. I'm a preacher. I'm thinking it's a state of mind. They say heaven is on the other side, but I ain't waiting. I think it's a state of mind. Is it a state of mind? No. God's going to create new heavens, new earth. We're talking about a literal place. Not just somewhere where you float around. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that you're going to recognize. But it's going to be this transformed physical structure. Not you just floating around. You're going to be able to identify it. But it's going to be transformed and it's going to be renewed. Like, that's the point where a lot of you may have, should have said like, oh, amen. Like, I don't like this earth. I don't like what we're having to live on here. Like, it's not good. It's broken. There's going to be a day when it's not broken any longer. Man, that's what we look forward to. And then it says the sea was no more. Now, some of you are like, man, I look forward to that new creation, but I like to fish. And now I don't have the sea anymore. Like, what? I don't want to be in that. I'd rather stay here. I like to be on the water. So why is the sea guy going to get rid of the sea? I don't think he's literally going to get rid of all the sea. This is why all throughout Revelation, when the sea is referred to, this is what we're not going to read through all of this, but the sea was typically seen as a symbol of evil and chaos. In chapter 13, this is the origin of where the beast or evil came from. In chapter 17, this, the sea was where the pagan and rebellious nations dwelled. In chapter 18, the sea was the center for idolatrous trade. In chapter 20, the sea was the place of the dead. So not good things were coming from the sea in Revelation. Okay, Evil, chaos. Anybody ever been on a, um, on the, a body of water? when the wind is howling like it is today. It is not fun. It is a scary place, right? Like I remember one time I was with my grandparents and we were on a boat and this major thunderstorm came up kind of out of nowhere. We were not anticipating at all. And I was mortified. Like, and we like take off trying to get back to our campsite where we were. And it was awful because the sea is this kind of treacherous, mysterious thing. And what God's saying is, New heavens, new earth, no more chaos, no more evil. It's void of the evil and the chaos and the darkness and the corruption, the opposition. There's no more chaos at home. There's no more chaos at work. There's no more chaos in relationships. And this is a place you want to be. This is incredible. It gets better. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So this New Jerusalem comes down to us. God bringing this holy city down to us. We're not floating up into this new city. God's bringing it to us. And it's a place we're going to dwell. But more than just a place, this New Jerusalem is talking about the people of God. All right? It's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband all throughout revelation and the new testament who is referred to as the bride the church 
The redeemed people of God. So we're talking about a place and we're talking about the redeemed people of God here. In 2 Peter 3.13 it says this. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You want to be in a place that's righteous? I want to be in a place that's righteous where there's no more injustice. This is the new heavens and new earth, church. This is what we have to look forward to. Where a place where righteousness dwells. Now, the amazing thing is we get to experience Christ's righteousness on this earth, right? And there's this kind of big theological term called glorification. Where right now, our position before God, our position before God has been declared right because of what Jesus did on the cross. So we have right standing. That's our position before God. But the condition that we live in on this earth is is not right correct? Like there's nothing just fully right about our condition that we're living in. So we have this position standing before God, but it doesn't match the condition. One day in the new heavens and the new earth, when Jesus Christ returns, our position will match our condition. And it's going to be an amazing, amazing time. And it gets better. Verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Man, the dwelling place of God is with man. Perfected intimacy, perfected communion that Adam and Eve originally had in the garden where God, the Lord God walked in the garden with them. He spoke to them. They had full access to God. This is the new heavens and new earth. We get that kind of access to God. Because of Jesus, we get to be in that intimate connection with God. There's no more distance between us and God. There's no more separation. There's no more loneliness. And who's going to be there? It says, And they will be as people. You may have a footnote at the bottom of your Bible. It said they will be as peoples. All right. In the new heaven and new earth, there is no single ethnicity. We're talking about multiple ethnicities from all over the world coming together to be redeemed. Or they are redeemed. And now they're with God forever. This is amazing. And it keeps getting better. better. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Painful tears. Tears caused by sorrow. No more. No more. May there be tears one day of wonder and amazement in our God and of joy. Maybe. But never again will there be tears caused by pain or hurt because God in his goodness and graciousness to us will wipe away all of our tears. And death shall be no more. One pastor said this about that. 
No more death, not of husbands, wives, aunts, uncles, children, brothers, sisters, grandfathers, grandmothers, cousins, friends, neighbors. Funeral homes will be put out of business. Cemeteries will be empty. For all will have been raised in glorified bodies that are no longer susceptible to disease and decay. Never again the long meetings at the funeral home deciding on caskets and vaults and limos and flowers. No graveside services. No obituaries to read. No video tributes of a person's life. No eulogies. No flowers to be sent or cards or condolence to be written. Never again a long caravan of caravan of cars with their headlights on. No police escorts to the cemetery. No headstones or awkward moments when you don't know what to say. Death shall be no more. Guys, that's what we have to look forward to. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or pain. No more pain. No more pain. Why? We get new bodies. We're not going to look at it, but 1 Corinthians 15 talks all about the resurrection of Jesus. And he was the first fruit, so there's more coming after him. Where? Because of his resurrection, our bodies will be resurrected one day. And it is an incredible thing. And in Philippians 3, this is what Paul says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. One day our lowly bodies will be transformed into something glorious. No more temporary hurts. No more cuts and scrapes and band-aids. No more need for urgent care. No more need for doctor's offices. No more need for hospitals. No more pain. And it's not just physical pain. No more emotional wounds from wayward children. No more emotional wounds from marital strife. But in the new heavens and new earth, there will be no pain. Isn't this what you want? Isn't this what we all long for? It says, the former things have passed away. The things that cause all those things, they're all gone. The disappointments, the regrets, the shame, the guilt, it's all gone. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. So we keep going. We're motivated. We don't quit. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I know a lot of you are going through a lot of things in this life that do not seem like light momentary affliction. But when you compare that, if you put it on a scale, all of those things, the physical pain, the disabilities, the emotional pain, the death, the mourning, when compared to the glorious Reality of heaven with a glorious God forever, those things do not compare. They are light, momentary afflictions 
compared to the full weight of glory. Because, and the full weight of glory is what we experience in the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 5. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So these former things don't exist anymore. There's been this great renewal. And then this, somebody says to John, hey, John, you got to write these things down. Write these things down for the church, because one day there's going to be this temptation to compromise. And they need to be reminded in that, that these words, this vision is trustworthy and true. You can believe it. Guys, this is not something that Veritas Church just came up with to help you cope with hard things in life. This is the truth of God's word. This is what's coming. This is amazing. Verses 6 through 8. And he said to me, it is done. We've heard that before, right? We've heard that at the cross. It's done. We've heard it as the angels poured out their bowls of wrath here in Revelation. It's done. It's over. It says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers, the one who endures, the one who perseveres will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Guys, the redeemed people of God, what this is saying is they're going to have access to the water of life. They're going to have access to being part of God's family, his heritage. You have access to a godly inheritance because of what Christ has done. If you're the one that lasts, if you're the one that perseveres and conquers you don't compromise in this life. You continue to be a faithful follower of Jesus. There's incredible access and incredible heritage that you have to look forward to. So will everybody get this? Not according to verse 8. Not according to verse 8. Those that aren't covered by the blood of the Lamb, they have no eternal communion with God. That's a sobering reality for a lot of people. That you can say, yes, I follow Jesus. But if your life doesn't line up with it, and you're not covered by the blood of the Lamb, it says, you're not going to experience the incredible parts of the new heaven and new earth. Just let that sink in. Now some of you look at that list and you go, wait a second, I've been faithless at times. I've been sexually immoral. I've been an idolater. Like every one of us should look at this list and go, whoa, 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 that's us. Yeah, it's all of us. But Jesus, Jesus is covered. His blood paid the penalty that we deserve. We deserve death and he took it on. Because of the gift of faith that he's given to us, we can avoid This lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So now we're going to get into the rest of chapter 21 and then the beginning of chapter 22. What you're going to have is another one of those perspective changes. We've had it often in Revelation 
where you see a picture of something and you, then you get a new camera angle looking at the very same thing. You just get a different view of it. All right. So that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to look at this holy city, New Jerusalem. Remember the place that we're going to be, but also describing the people of God. All right. So verses nine through 14. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride. Remember, I will show you the redeemed people of God, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and at the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the son of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So John is taken up to this high mountain. He gets this initial view of what this city is going to look like, what these people are going to look like. And what he sees is the redeemed people of God, and what's in the midst of all of them? The glory of God. The glory of God is there. The glory of God is throughout the new heavens and the new earth because it's within his people. And it just ex- keeps extending. And then verses 15 through 17. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. So you have this initial view in 9 through 14, and now in 15 through 17, you see somebody measuring this city. Now to measure a city throughout the New Testament meant that God was saying, hey, I'm placing some incredible boundaries here. You're going to be safe. This is a place where you're going to be sealed and protected. The people of God sealed and protected forever. No harm's going to come. No evil threats. Yes, in this present life, but in the life to come, there are none of those things. God is promising here to protect his people forever. So his glory is going to extend throughout. And now he's going to protect them forever. And then verses 18 through 21, we see what this city is made out of. What are the materials? The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprasy, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Is that a place you want to be? Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. An absolutely beautiful place. But remember, we're not just talking about a place here. We're talking about the people of God. So what are, what are these materials reflecting about the people of God? We're not going to read it, but write this down. Exodus 28 and Exodus 39. Exodus 28 and 39. In this, the, those two chapters, God is describing the garments of the high priest. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, right, the, you'd have, you would go into the temple and you'd have certain access in the temple. But the deeper you got into the temple, 
Only certain people could go further in. And in the middle of the temple, there's the Holy of Holies. It was built like a cube, all right? Much like the new heavens and the new earth. And the high priest could enter in there once a year to atone for the sins of the people for the year. And it was, you, there was all these rules you had to follow to be able to enter into that most holy place, all right? Well, in Exodus 28 and 39, God is describing the certain garments that the high priest would need to wear. One of those things that he would wear was a chest piece, and it was shaped like a little cube. On that cube, it had 12 stones. Those represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So it represented the people of God. And it was a reminder to him that I represent God's people when I go into God's presence. It was a beautiful thing. But the reminder, and if you went back to those chapters, you go, oh, all those things, all those jewels that I just read, those those show up there. Those show up there. Because it's reflecting the Holy of Holies. And it's reflecting what the priests would do. Now the people of God can enter into the presence of God. Like, it's an amazing thing here because now it's saying that God's presence in the new heavens and new earth is going to extend everywhere. Like, his presence is going to be with his people. All from verse 3, we read it earlier. He's going to dwell with his people. And the materials of this city aren't just something we go, oh, that's, that's cool looking. It reflects the presence of God with his people. Then verses 22 through 27 say this, And I saw no temple in the city, for that its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. What's that, what that's talking about is in the past that kings would come in to cities and they would bring all their wealth to show off for themselves but in this new city the kings are going to bring all their stuff in all for the praise and glory of God all right verse 25 and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life So what's inside the new heavens and new earth? What's inside this new city, Jerusalem? There's no more temple. There's no more temple. Because what's the temple? It's the Lamb and the Lord God, the Almighty. In the Old Testament, this is like, or even for this this group of people, if you're a Jew, you're like, no, that's where we interact with God. That's where we go into the presence of God is at the temple. But he's saying, well, you don't have to be... There's no like location. This is the only place where God's going to dwell. There's no temple anymore. Full access to God's presence, his protection, his security. It's incredible. And it says there's going to be gates and those gates are never going to be closed. Why? Because in Jerusalem there were gates and they would be wide open during the day. Anybody could come in, but at night those gates were shut to prevent intruders coming in. There's no chance for intruders in the new heavens and the new earth. None at all. Gates can be left wide open. Why? Because again, the harsh reality of 27 is, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
There is security in this holy city. There is security among God's people. And then verses 1 through 5 of 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the whole like reestablishment of the Garden of Eden. We studied Genesis last year. This is a beautiful place. Is now being recreated and redeemed. Adam was supposed to work it and cultivate it. He didn't do it. He was supposed to extend it beyond just that one little location. And now God's glory is going to extend all throughout it. So what do we have in this new creation church? We have no chaos, no tears, no death, no pain, no mourning. It's beautiful, it's massive, it's safe, it's pure, and it's full of life. Is that what you want one day? Here's the problem though. I think a lot of us long for that kind of heaven and it's fully disconnected from God. That we would love to be in a place where there's no pain, no tears, no mourning, and no death. And we don't really care if God's there or not. We want the benefits of heaven, and that's the only reason we pursue God. And church, if that's what we're doing, we are absolutely missing it. The prize isn't no pain. The treasure isn't that death will be no more. The prize is God. And we will dwell in his presence forever. So if what you're looking forward to and what you're looking it is something far less than being in the presence of God Almighty that we've been separated from on this earth, you're missing what the new heavens and new earth are about. And when that temptation to compromise comes in this life, you're going to give in really quickly. You're not going to be compelled by a vision of heaven without God. Because if you remember, all throughout Revelation, he is saying, hey, avoid Babylon. Don't go after Babylon. And what was Babylon? It was the man-centered kingdom, right? Babylon back in the day, Rome for these people, America for us, where we're just centered all around us. Everything is about us and what we can get out of this, right? Everything is about us. Guess what? In Babylon, if you go back to your Revelation, it's adorned with a lot of jewels, You can have a lot of what you're longing for. If you're longing for heaven without God, you can find almost all of it in Babylon. You don't want pain or tears. Guess where you could find some of that? You could find some of that in Babylon. Stay drunk all day. You'll avoid it. Stay high. Play video games all day. Look at pornography all day. You could avoid a lot of it. 
You could find so much of what you're longing for in the new heavens and new earth right here on this earth if it is void of God. Is that what you want, church? Is that what we want? Man, I hope not. I hope not. I hope the things that we're hoping for in this life are not simply things that we could just find on this earth. You're like, I don't want to mourn. I don't want pain. Well, just avoid relationships. Just withdraw. You can do all that. There's something more compelling about the new heavens and new earth than all those things, guys. There's God. He's part of this new creation. He's present with his people. His glory extends everywhere. He protects his people forever and he gives us full access. The new creation is glorious because a glorious God is there. That's why it's glorious. Some of you have seen those old posters. It says like the motivational posters, right? That has like a picture of a beautiful like mountain with an eagle flying over at sunset, right? And it says like motivation underneath it. Now, if you were to go run a marathon, okay, I would never in my life do that. My wife has done that before. She told me all about it. So um, if you were to go run a marathon and you're at mile 22, 23, and it feels like your legs are falling off, okay, I would never make it that far. I would have died before then. But say you make it that far and you're at mile 22, 23, and it's, you're hurting, you, you're struggling, breathing, Are you just longing for somebody to stand on the side of the road as you run by with a big picture of an eagle flying over a mountain at sunset? Is that going to help you get to the finish line? No, not at all. Like you're going to look at that poster and want to rip it up. Like, no, that's not going to help you keep going and endure to the end. There has to be something more compelling than that in this life. There has to be something more compelling about heaven then just no tears, no pain, and no death. And the more compelling thing is God. He is the prize. That's it. So how do you endure in this present life? Endure the present by having a vision of forever in God's presence. Endure the present by having a vision of forever in God's presence. A complete vision has its highest priority as God, where God is the most satisfying, where God is the most compelling. So what do we do with this? How do you live this out now on this earth? Well, you can spend time in God's presence today. You have access through the Holy Spirit. Spend time in God's presence regularly. Spend time in God's presence daily. Open up his truth. Open up his word. Spend time with him. I've never in all my years of 20-something years in pastoral ministry ever heard somebody say, man, I regret reading my Bible. I regret talking to God. I never heard that. I've heard a lot of other regrets, though. Man, I wish I wouldn't have lived this life. I wish I wouldn't have said this to my kids. I wish I wouldn't have treated my wife this way. I wish I wouldn't have given into that and compromised in this way. Spend time in the presence of God now because the more you do, it's going to stir your affections and go, man, I want this forever. I want to be in God's presence forever. So spend time with him. Now, I think Johnny Cash wrote a song a long time ago. It was talking about... Uh, that some people are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. You think about heaven so much, you don't do anything in this life. 
Well, before that, I wish you would have read C.S. Lewis because this is what C.S. Lewis says. And I'm going to finish here. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said, A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most in this present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Guys, we want to be a church that makes an incredible impact in this world. And the biggest impact that you can make in this world is when you keep your attention on what's to come. And what's to come is being in the presence of our creator, God, forever. God is the prize, nothing else. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your truth. God, I'm so thankful that you were gracious enough to give this vision to John and that he wrote it down. And I pray that when temptation comes, Lord, we would see heaven as so much more than no pain, no death, no tears. God, help us to be motivated in this life because of you and you alone. May we conquer and endure because you are our motivation. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.